Hello and welcome to Genius Hack. And Happy New Year again. Happy New Year again, yes. Yeah. The, because it's still the New Year. It is. And because our last episode was during the New Year kind of break, yeah. it sort of felt a bit like it was still Christmas. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, it's, you know, those those days just after Christmas, like it starts at Christmas Eve and then it's just that void. Like yes. there's, there's no days, there's no time, there's no nothing. There's no structure to your day. I mean, I was working and I still did, like, it could have been a Saturday, it could have been a Wednesday. It's like every day is kind of Sunday. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's that weird, that weird period of time where every day is a little bit Sunday. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I love that it's very universal. Yeah. Like, it's not just me that feels this. No, everybody knows that every day is kind of Sunday. Yeah, I feel mm. like maybe we should look into this for one of our shows. That would be like the, the <laughs> science of why that Christmas period defies time and logic. Yes, <laughs> on a global scale. Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. it's everybody. Yeah. Well, I suppose in countries where they celebrate Christmas. Now, that's a question to ask. Mm. Is everybody affected? That's an interesting one, actually. Like people who don't celebrate Christmas and then but just these two weeks in December to January. It's like this weird void. (laughs) (laughs) There's just some weird anomaly. Like it's not actually to do with Christmas at all. It just happens that Christmas falls at the same time as this weird anomaly. (laughs) You never know. It could be a thing. I think so. (laughs) I've always kind of wanted to celebrate Christmas in like, or not celebrate Christmas, but like experience Christmas in a country where it's not celebrated or acknowledged at all. And it's just a normal day. I think it'd be really interesting. It would be. But see, because a lot of countries have become very westernized, they, if they, even if they're not celebrating it, there'll still be a Christmas tree or something like that. That's true, actually. Um, like I know for a fact in like the likes of Japan, mm. they don't celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Yet they still put up Christmas trees and they still decorate shops yeah. and they still have Christmas themed things. It things, yeah. But it's not. They don't really celebrate Christmas. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because, like, my dad was in the UAE, 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 um, a couple of years ago, and it wasn't. It wasn't in December. I think it was like late November, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they definitely like they're not a Christian country, but yeah. there was a Christmas tree, like because. Ah. They're pretty, I guess. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, but none of this is science. No, kind yes, of. none of this. Um, we've got some interesting stuff on the go today. Yes, um, yeah. We're going to start off in a few minutes with some interesting facts about Irish scientists. There's a lot of them. There is. And there's I a lot of very... Like, for a small country, we have had a big impact on mm. science and space exploration and everything. Something to be proud of, I think. Yeah, we have. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I mean... We had David Moore on speaking to us about that a couple of weeks ago and he sort of touched on the idea of how much uh, we've actually kind of contributed to science. And it's it's so interesting and it's really exciting and um, I can't think of the word, inspiring. Yeah. Because we are, we're a little country, but we're powerful. Yeah, we do some good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Small but mighty. Good job us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All of our listeners, they can just like, you know, give themselves a pat on the back. Mm. Even if you're not from Ireland, you might as well. You might as well. Yeah. And you probably have some Irish in you because we sort of spread everywhere. Yeah, literally. We're, if, you, if you search hard enough, you probably have some Irish blood in you. There's more than likely. Yeah. It's highly, <laughs> highly likely. But um, you've also got our main topic for today. Yes, which is about nanotechnology. And it's about this. There is this case where they use nanotechnology to clean up a lake. Mm. And I suppose in this day and age, like where pollution is everywhere and we're very conscious about single-use plastics and like deforestation and everything it's really interesting to see it's really interesting yeah. to look into and it could be the future of preserving habitats and ecosystems i think mm. well definitely um, well i suppose we'll dig more into that we won't get into a big conversation about it right now we'll yeah. dig a little bit more into it but um sure i suppose we'll jump straight into our our facts our kind of interesting irish science facts yeah. sounds good um straight off the bat like a lot of these are people who should be more well known and mm. should be famous and yeah. they they aren't or well they would be within the science community i suppose people know who they are yeah. but they're not as big as they should be and one of the ones uh, i was looking at there was kenneth edgeworth Oh. Um, now there's all this whole kind of thing and your t-shirt kind of touches on it as well uh, people can't see Orla's t-shirt right now but it's really cool um, I'll put it on whole, our social medias yes actually check out the social medias we'll put a picture of Orla's t-shirt yeah. um, but basically the whole idea of Pluto the, the argument over whether or not Pluto was a planet and this yes. has been kind of like no I mean it was only I'm decided yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I like the idea of Pluto being a planet. Yeah. Um, but it was like it was only decided relatively recently that okay, we're going to say that it's not a planet. Yeah. Because I mean, I even remember when I was in school, 
we did the solar solar system and Pluto was a planet. Oh yeah. When I was yeah. in primary school anyway. Yeah, but even in secondary school, like it's not it wasn't that long ago mm. that this this was decided that poor little old Pluto wasn't good enough to be a no. planet anymore. Excuse me. But there was discussions about it going back to nineteen thirty eight, which was when yeah. uh, Edward, who was from Westmeath <laughs> Uh, when he proposed the idea that Pluto wasn't actually a planet, but in his words, uh, was most likely a very large piece of rubble in the <laughs> in a greater belt of cosmic debris, which is quite sad. But it's an orbit, like yeah. it's an orbit just like all the other planets. But then again, so does a lot of this, like these fields of debris. Oh, uh, I suppose. But still, like he's he. Oh, I just gendered him. Yeah. Well, Pluto apparently is male now. Yeah. Um, like he's he's more of a planet than rubble. In my opinion, mm. oh, for all the information I do know about Pluto. <laughs> I, th- I think you're sort of okay gendering them, though, because they're named after, like, is it, I can never remember whether it's the Greek or the Roman gods. I always get mixed up which one is which. Oh, but, like, yeah. we know, like, Venus was a female, so the planet Venus, oh, you'd true. say yeah, she. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah, we can, we can sort <laughs> of, okay. we can, yeah, you're fine. You're okay. It's good. It's all good. Yeah. And I always think of the dog. Pluto. Of course, yeah. 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 So you're good. <laughs> but um we all like a lot of people will have heard of the the Kuiper belt. It's uh like it is that that belt that he was sort of talking about as <laughs> well of that sort of cosmic debris the way he put it. Yeah. But the whole it's basically it's what it is is it's the area that kind of lies sort of beyond Neptune I suppose. Okay. Um but it's all it's often referred to as the Kuiper belt. Mm-hmm. Um, I may be pronouncing his name wrong I always find it very hard to pronounce his name properly but it was actually properly the correct term for it is the Edgeworth Kuiper Belt no way they just dropped poor Edgeworth <laughs> oh talk about a burn isn't that really bad I wonder if this was after he died as well possibly oh, well oh. almost definitely I'd say yeah it was like you know can't even defend himself mm. <laughs> so yeah he, but you know he wasn't team Pluto so I don't know how, oh, how bad yeah, I feel never mind really. I take it back <laughs> um Another one, another really important one was Robert Boyle. Um, very influential. He's seen to have um, actually been someone who influenced um, Isaac Newton. No way. So very, very important. Uh, he's from Waterford. And as I noticed looking through this stuff, a lot of people are from Waterford. Yeah. Uh, you'll see later on as we go. Um, but he, the whole idea of, um, it, it's Boyle's Law, mm-hmm. uh, which it, it became like a big kind of, thing in kind of modern science uh, it talks about the idea you probably learned about it in school a lot of people did but that uh, the pressure of gas decreases it's, it's, it decreases as the volume raises so it's it's quite or it, yeah the, sorry the, the gas the pressure of the gas decreases as the volume raises okay. um, and it, it's sort of a thing that's taught in school to this day but it is um, it's Boyle's Law oh. and it's an important one it's, a, it's kind of it's a smaller, it's a little bit less to talk about than the other one because yeah. it's just that one sort of thing. But the interesting thing about him is he had known, in life he had kind of come up with 20, a list of 24 inventions that he hoped he'd see created in his lifetime. Oh. Um, and there was some interesting ones. But they've, all, not all of them, but some of the more interesting ones have actually already happened. Really? Um, one of them was human flight. <laughs> we can do that. We can yes, fly we an airplane. Yes, um, Exact navigation technology, as he called it. So GPS. GPS. And we all have GPS on yeah. our phones. If you've got a smartphone, you have a GPS device. <gasps> you can use that to get around. You've got this exact navigation thing. A literal lifesaver in some cases, mm. me in particular. <laughs> and another thing he wanted was what we now refer to as electricity. Oh. He wanted that to be a thing that existed. Huh. Clever man. Doesn't he? So he had a few, a good few ideas of yeah. stuff that, you know, he really wanted to sort of be a thing. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of it eventually did become, you know, become a big thing. Yeah, um, be nothing without dreamers. No, exactly. Yeah. And I think with some of these types of things, you always wonder how would we have developed if the people who created some of these things didn't create them? Like, because yeah. you've got someone like him who had ideas for these these things. Yeah. But he himself never created them. Other people went and did it. Yeah. So it's like we always think, oh, it's amazing. We wouldn't have this without this person. We probably would. Exactly. Probably somebody else would have came along and said, we need this. That's Why don't we it. have this? And there's like, uh, there's a lot of people in the world mm. and there have been and kind of the chance, you know, they talk about the chances of you having your own unique thought is actually really like our idea is really unlikely given yeah. the sheer amount of people that have been and are that. I mean, it's just people who can actually put it into into working, yeah. like make it an actual physical thing. So. I mean, it would not not to take away from people who have great ideas. No, but you're right. It, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think there is any idea that one person and only one person has ever had. Obviously, yeah. somebody has to be the first. Yes, yeah. But 
just because you're the one who created it doesn't mean you're the first person who came up with it. Exactly. That's why you should always date your work people. <laughs> <laughs> That's proper like what you're told in school. Yeah. Always date your work just so you know and you can prove that it's your work. Send yourself an email with the timestamp on it just in case somebody comes out with it and you're like, here, I had that idea. First. Or be old school about it and post it to yourself. Yes. Yeah. In a sealed envelope. That was always, it's like slight detour here, but when I was in uh, college doing sound engineer, that was always what we were told to do, like for <laughs> a cheap way to kind of copyright your own work. Really? Yeah. Now, I think legally speaking, it doesn't actually work. <laughs> You'd have to then have that, you'd leave it with a lawyer or yes, something like yeah. that. There's a, there's a big, long list of stuff <laughs> to do. That's not scientific, so yes. we won't talk about it. Um, a really, a, a very important one was Ernest Walton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernest Walton is Ireland still to this day our own was our first and is still our only Nobel Prize winner in physics. Oh, so very important. Yeah. Um, he back in 1951, him and John Cockcroft, who was his um, his colleague at the time, were the first scientists to ever successfully and artificially split the atom. Oh wow! Mm, back I in 1942. Yeah, well, I don't Irish. know. I'm not sure about John Cockcroft, to yeah. be honest, but I know he was Irish. There's a good chance that John Cockcroft was probably English. Yeah. Because um, they did this working in Cambridge. I see. <clears throat> in Cambridge University. And it's interesting because what they did, the, what they did, it was a, the nuclei of a lithium um, atom. That was what they split. But they did it by, um, it, it's very, very, very similar kind of uh, thing to how they do it in CERN now. Oh. So it was sort of like a, a very early predecessor to the Large Hadron Collider. No way. Mm. That's kind of exciting. Isn't it? Like, and the thing How it th- all kind of started. Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of going back to the really early days of that. Yeah. And, and uh, as you said, like everything starts somewhere. Mm. And, and we have, like you said, in CERN. Yeah, exactly. And the big stuff that's going on in CERN. Well, yeah. I suppose actually not right now because CERN is currently closed. Yes. Oh, true. Yeah. It's, I think it's going to be closed for two years. Is it? It's maintenance. Yeah, it's been closed for maintenance. I'm pretty sure it's two years, uh, 2021. Remember people thought that um, <coughs> that was going to cause a second big bang and destroy the world. Oh, that's probably why they closed it for a while because they realised yeah. that the people were right. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no. Yeah, it's like, oh. Because I remember that was supposed to happen the day I got my junior cert results. And it was <laughs> it was going to happen, I think, at like 11am our time. That the whatever they were going to do was going to potentially replicate the big bang. And I was going to be getting my results at one. So I was like, so you're telling me that the world might end right before I get my junior cert <laughs> results. <laughs> yes. And there you go. You, like, you, would, you wouldn't have had to know. Yeah. Part of it would have been nearly good because you wouldn't have to find yeah. out how you did. <laughs> I, I remember the day I got my junior cert results. I'm sorry about these little asides here, yeah. but it, it's interesting. Yeah, we've missed you. We have. It's, we have. It's, feel, it's a new year, new us. Yeah. It feel, <laughs> it's only been a week, but it feels like a very long time since yeah. you've done one of these shows. Yeah. Um, when I got my junior cert results, I was too much of a chicken to... Open the envelope? No, to get them on the day. Oh, no, this oh. would have been my leaving cert results. Oh, oh, I was too much of a chicken to get them on the day. And the whole plan was for me and all my friends to go and get our results together. <laughs> and I, yeah, what happened was, I was actually, I was a chicken for me leaving the junior cert as well. Because with that, <laughs> I kind of peeked in. Yeah. And I remember looking at one of my <laughs> mates and going, what's an honour? Because <laughs> I couldn't remember. And he told me whatever percentage it was. Yeah. And then I opened it because yeah. I seen I had a few... But when we leave insert, like it was like that it comes out online at whatever time, but then it came out like the school was handing them out from yeah. a certain time. So we'd all planned on going out up as soon as the school started handing them out. Yeah. But you were able to check them online quicker. So just before I left the house to go up, I checked them online to oh. see did would I feel okay opening them around everybody else. Yeah. So yeah, I was happy. Like I I was happy enough to open them. Scariest moment of my life, I think, mm. getting that envelope. I didn't check them online. I couldn't, I don't think. I was more scared getting that than I was getting my college results. And that Same. was my degree, like Yeah, it was a bit more serious. Mm. But I mean, leaving cert was built up an awful lot. Yeah. To, and like now when once you after the leaving cert, all of a sudden you're told all these other doors that like if you do want to get into a certain field, that your leaving cert isn't one hundred percent the be all and end all, that yeah. there's many other options. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I mean you know, you want say you, like what we're talking about here. You want to get into a scientific field. Mm. It's crazy that like with the leave insert. I mean, if maybe your Irish result, or your English result wasn't very good, then yeah. you can't do science. Exactly. Which is, yeah. Which like for anybody listening who is doing a leave insert this year or who's looking to do something like that, there's so many options. There's yeah. so many other ways. Like I know a friend of mine. What she did was she ended up like she didn't get the results she needed to get into Trinity. Yeah. So she went and she did a year's PLC course, got yeah. her results from doing the PLC course, and that meant she got a year's background in science as well. 
so it would even help when you're doing your um, yeah. undergrad because she found in first year <clears throat> of the actual course in Trinity College <laughs> she knew a lot of the stuff that they were telling her because she'd done a lot of it in uh, the PLC course she'd done and it could be the difference between a first and a second like yeah um, and it's an interesting one when it comes to education getting I mean, that it, we are sort of still in the sciences a little bit here yeah. but with something like that it gives you that extra year because I did a PLC mm. course and sometimes that extra year to grow up a little bit is Helps. actually quite handy yeah I, I went straight in from the leaving cert into college and oh, it it's was a scary. smack in the face. It is scary. Because you're all of a sudden on your own. And actually, to be fair, at this time of year, it's we are into the second term. I, we don't mean to go on, but we are into like kind of the second half of the school year mm. and the mocks will be coming up soon. So, and the CAO, the deadline is usually, the first deadline is usually around February. So it's going to be on a lot of students' minds. And like just a reminder that the leaving cert might be the quickest way but if you don't if you work super hard and you don't get what you what you want it's not the end of the world yeah. oh absolutely yeah absolutely i mean there's so many people who you know very famous scientists i'm pretty sure albert and actually albert einstein i'm pretty sure was one of these who didn't perform very well in school that's it yeah he and was dyslexic i think yeah so he didn't do well in school and there are some of the greatest was minds dyslexia we've ever had was a was like a diagnosable thing yeah. as far as i know some of the the greatest minds we've ever had have you know, not fit in with the school system. Yeah. And just because that doesn't work for you, just doesn't. It doesn't mean you're not clever. It doesn't mean exactly. you're not in like insanely intelligent. Yeah. It just means that this particular one system didn't work for you, and that's fine. That's exactly. okay. Exactly. There's options, and I don't know. Like we obviously can't speak for what it's like in other parts of the world. Yeah. But thankfully, in Ireland, there definitely is options, and I'm pretty sure in the UK it's similar because you can do yeah. PLC type things. Yeah, because college in the UK is like what they call college isn't isn't like university like they call what we call college hmm. is university over there. Yeah, and then like in the States, they have like community college type things. I'm not yeah. sure exactly how that works, but yeah. I think it's similar to like a PLC. It seems to be, yeah. But anyway. Yes, um, back on track. You could be one of these big science names. Exactly. You know, in the future, people could be looking at you. Especially if you're from Waterford. Espe- apparently so. <laughs> Yet the next person here is from Dublin. Ah. Um, Francis Rind, uh, who is from Dublin, who's a doctor in Meath Hospital. Yeah, his big contribution to science, and it actually is pretty massive, was he was the first person to ever come up with the idea for a hypodermic syringe. Oh. Mm, which is massively important. Because think about the That's amount of amazing. things. Whether it be blood tests, yeah. whether it be inoculations that you get, whether it be all oh, number of things. Definitely. Um, numbing agents if you're getting operations Ooh. done. So many things that we get done that involve hypodermic needles. Now, yeah. I'm a bit squeamish with needles myself. Yeah. Um, diabetics. Yeah. Everything, like the amount of things that this, you know, this invention of the hypodermic needle gave us yeah. is pretty incredible. Um, and again, I suppose you could go back to the hall. Someone probably would have done it, but yeah. an Irish person did yes. it. So we got there first. To hell with everybody else. <laughs> and it was in Meath Hospital uh, back in 1984. Um, he used this to administer the world's first ever pain relieving injection. 1984? 18. 18. 18 1844. Sorry, did oh, I say 1984? Yeah. No, 1844. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> so yeah, scratch that. 18, yeah. 1844. So way earlier than 1984. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a bit more sense, but very, very impressive. Isn't it? Yeah. Because, I mean, you think about like on a like on a daily basis. That was pre-famine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> The famine oh, I, I, was, was 47 to 51. Mm, so yeah, just... 46 to 40, 51. And that was 44, 1844. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Like, absolutely, like, amazing. There's the stuff that was going on here even all that time ago. And, the, like, this kind of technology was around back then. Because mm. when you do think of the famine, you do think kind of very rural Ireland, kind of very, po- like, a lot of poverty and yeah. all this, that you don't really associate it with massive advantage, mm-hmm. advances particularly medical advances that yeah. saved the world essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> or improved the world anyway exactly yeah. like it's it's crazy just for context really yeah historical context uh, John Jolly I love this name so do I although <laughs> I'm looking at it now and it could be Jolie oh well it's spelled with a Y one L but a Y yeah We'll However, put that up for a debate. John Jolly, we'll put that, yeah, on yeah. social media. Tell us if we're pronouncing his name right. Yeah. And if we're not, I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, from County Offaly, and back in 1857, uh, he was famous for the development of radiotherapy being used as a treatment for cancer. In when? Uh, in 1857. No way, just mm. post-famine. Yeah. <laughs> is, we did a lot on either yeah. side of the famine, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I wouldn't have said that that was so early. I would have thought that would have been at least 1900s. Like. Mm. 
even early 1900s. That's that's fascinating. Oh, I think it's 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 unreal when you actually look back at you know the stuff that was done and the times mm. that they happened in. Yeah. Um, like it's crazy. We sort of think of you know modern science and stuff as being a lot yeah. more modern, I think, than we realise a lot yeah. of it really is. When the foundation of it was actually mm. like coming up to 200 years old. Like, yeah. It's it, it's kind of exciting to see where we'll be in another 200. Well, uh, I know we won't see where we'll be in another 200 years. Ah, uh, immortality has to be invented eventually. So hopefully ah, yeah. it happens while we're alive. <laughs> Um, George Johnson Stoney interesting one here uh, just a short one back in 1826 he was the person who came up with the term electron and used the term electron uh, he proposed uh, that to describe the fundamental unit of an electrical charge refreshing he didn't use his own name like you call it the Stoney yeah <laughs> the Stoneytron like you know when people figure like find something for the first time they're like oh, I'm gonna use my own name yeah <laughs> No, I suppose actually when you think about it, it is probably, it is kind of cool that he didn't use his own name. Yeah. But yeah, so the the Electron, the the name probably came from here. Or not probably, it did come from here. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we're full of it, lads. Oh, in in a good way. Uh, time for, uh, we'll do one more because we're going to have to get to the main subject. And another kind of, this itself is also a quick one. Um, this is William Thompson, mm-hmm. uh, also called Baron Kelvin. Ooh. Um, he a lot of people think he's Scottish. He's often referred to, and most commonly referred to, as a Scottish engineer. Okay. Um, but he's not. He was actually he may have lived in Scotland, fine, but he was born <laughs> in Ireland. He was from Belfast, um, back in 1824, um, and he was best known for discovering absolute zero. Oh. And the corresponding development of then the the Kelvin scale and the Kelvin units of measurement for temperatures and stuff. So see, see Kelvin scale. He's where Kelvin comes from. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he used he used his name. Or at least he used his Baron name. True, I don't know yeah. why it's not Baron Thompson. But there's probably some weird way that the naming convention works. For some reason, he's not Baron Thompson. But um, yeah, so there you go. That's where the Kelvin comes from. That's kind of good, you know, a bit of Irish pride. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I've always been very proud to be Irish. We've accomplished yeah. some amazing stuff for such a small little island. That's it. Like, mm. I mean, we 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 were everywhere. Yeah. We're all over the world and all these kind of advances. We're just like, yeah, we, what's it? Having our fingers in many pies. Absolutely. <laughs> and talking about like stuff that we've accomplished here, we've got the, the young scientists, science <gasps> yes, and technology yeah. exhibition coming up on the weekend. That's um, always great crack. I ah, used to love that in school. Amazing stuff comes so out of that. So interesting. So that's the future of Irish science is yeah. kind of happening this weekend. You know, get down to it if you can get down to it. Definitely. Um, fantastic stuff. And I suppose we might as well give a bit of a shout out to our to our social medias. Mm-hmm. If we can remember we can, all yeah. the correct ones. That's always our thing. Will we remember them all? <laughs> um, Twitter, we're GeniusHack925. We are. That's the easy one. Yes. Actually, the easier one is Facebook. We're just GeniusHack. Yes. Yeah. You find us GeniusHack on Facebook. <laughs> GeniusHack925 on Twitter. And Instagram, we're Genius underscore Hack 925. And we'll be starting some kind of an interesting thing soon. We sort of trialed it there the other day, um, doing like a fact of the days. Yes. Facts of fact of the days. Facts of the day. <laughs> fact of the days. My English is very good. I was about to say the first fact will be English language and yeah. how to use it properly. <laughs> how to use it correctly. Um, but yeah, we'll have our fact of the day, uh, which will be starting soon. Uh, as I said, we trialed it the other day as like a little video thing. We might mm. do it as more of a like a text imagey type thing because people might find it a little easier if they're scrolling through rather than having to stop to look at a video yeah so yeah we're trying to make it easier for you exactly we just want to inform that's all we want to do all we want to do is have some fun (laughs) and and little facts that might be coming up would be so our next topic is about nanotechnology Mm -hmm. so I'm just going to give like a definition so those little facts could just be definitions yeah true um, so for people who don't know, nanotechnology is the branch of technology that deals with dimensions and tolerances of less than 100 nanometers. So teeny, 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 tiny, tiny. Tiny Teeny, tiny. <laughs> teeny, tiny science. <laughs> teeny, tiny science. Um, especially, in, especially the manipulation of individual atoms and molecules, which, you know, are also very small. They are. Um, and now, as we were saying earlier on, that... This day and age, there's an awful lot of pollution in the air, in our waters, and it's kind of about time. But yeah. more and more people are getting on the bandwagon of doing what they can do to help change this and stop polluting our waters and single-use plastic. And Because at the end of the day, it's kind of becoming unavoidable now. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere and we're seeing we're seeing the effects of it in places that we didn't think we would be seeing it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so in this case... The nanotechnology was used to clean up a lake. Wow. And pollution that was involved in a lake. Now, I'm going to completely butcher a lot of these words, um, particularly this this 
um, scientist's name. His name is Marino Marikawa, and he's a Peruvian Japanese scientist. And what he did was he cleaned up the Cascadio wetlands, which are an eight, which are eighty kilometers, and they're in Lima, in the province province of. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Orla picked, picked the article that had all the, the place names. Yeah, all the, <laughs> the hardest parts, the hardest words and the hardest names. Um, but basically, it was it was a wetlands from his childhood that he yeah. used to visit. And then he found out that it was destroyed. And he he was very like distraught and he learned that it was all due to pollution. So he decided to go into studying how can he help this? And mm. um, what he did was he went back to the wetlands and he stayed there for a number of days and he looked at the people traffic, like uh, the footfall around the area, looked at the kind of, like looked at the ecosystems around there and he analysed it and he was doing this for months and months. And so then he ended up developing a nanotechnology system. So he, And so as he said, he started off by camping there and he analysed the soil, he analysed the water and analysed especially what kind of pollution was occurring, yeah. essentially. So it would be easier to analyse, OK, right, this is the kind of damage that's been done. Then how, like, once you know the, the source of the problem, you can try and source find the source of the solution, essentially. Mm-hmm. So what he used was micro nano, uh, was a micro nano bubbling system. <laughs> which sounds kind of cute it does actually there, there is something yeah. quite cute about that yeah I think it's bubble mm. <laughs> um, you can't sound angry saying, saying bubble. bubble yeah <laughs> um, so yeah it consists of introducing micro bubbles into the depths of the polluted waters that attracted p- bacteria and polluted microorganisms and his analogy was that think of soda bubbles and he, expl- um, he explained and that everybody can see bubbles rising to the surface yeah um, and now, so now what you have to do is imagine these these like soda bubbles are micro 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 size, um, and then in tens and tens of thousands of them rising to the surface with all collecting these polluted and ah. contaminated um, molecules yeah. in the water. Um, so since it, and like since it was. He was using quite small technology, obviously. Um, it's slower and it takes up to five five to eight hours for it to reach the surface. Mm. Um, the micro nanobubble ha- has an electromagnetic field of positive and negative ions that works as a magnet. So that's how it's attracting all the pollutants and everything. Okay. Um, and... Uh, um, on, so on the way to the surface of the water, it attracts the viruses and the bacteria, thus catching them in like a spider's web. And I think that was fascinating. So once it's attracted to the vi- to the to the magnet, the viruses and the bacteria can't move anymore and they die. That's unreal. Because they can't respire, they can't they can't eat, they can't thrive on any more mm. of the products in the water. So they they just die. And um, and then in the case that they still reach the surface, that they turn into gas and disappear. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so I thought that was and like that would be due to like the radiation of the Earth yeah. and ultraviolet rays and things like that. Just things that we don't even take a notice of, but yeah. because these are so fine and so tiny that they're va- basically vaporized. Essentially, <laughs> like the world was a ginormous vaporizer. Yeah, that's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. And then the second method that he used was biofilters. Mm. And a biofilter is like a media bed different in different types of organisms attached, um, attached to and form a biological layer called a biofilm. And a similar kind of thing, it attracts water bacteria and preserves the good species that contribute to microflora and, um, and, conser- and conservation of the biomediation. Bios- <laughs> it's the big words again. Yep. The big words. Terrible. See, I mean, you you won't think I, I studied English. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, biofilters are actually like probably most well known for water treatment. Yeah. Um, but I think that is fascinating, and it's nanotechnology. You do hear about a lot, and this uh, this all took place over the course of I think it was five months, wow. and he cleared the eighty kilometers of the lake. That's unreal. Like it's it's. It's it's amazing. I think that six like, months. So it, sorry, it took six months um, for the development of the research, and it was four months that it was cleared up in. Right. Well, even still, I mean, that's yeah. inc- that's incredible. Under a year. Exactly. Under a year yeah. from basically literally beginning to end, essentially. Yeah. From the development on. 
that's unreal. I think we kind of need to be developing these types of things because I mean, yeah. with the the rate that we're sort of destroying things, um, we sort of need to be finding new ways to repair some of the damage that's been done. Definitely, and I've heard I've heard stories. I actually I might look into this for a future episode because mm. I remember I heard this last year. I think it was, and it was that there is a bacteria in in the ocean that has evolved to digest plastic. Right, I heard something about this actually. Yeah, now because it was probably just an article I saw on Facebook or Twitter, I I don't know the legitimacy of it, mm. but it's definitely something I might look into because yeah. if that is true, that's That's amazing. It's amazing, astonishing and kind of sad that like it's it's had yeah. to evolve, but yeah, at the I same see where time, you're from. yeah. Like it's we've kind of infiltrated the ecosystem so much that it's evolved to survive. On, there's so much plastic there. Yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there is so a shocking, shocking amount of plastic. And not, like, it's just from, because any of the plastic that has ever been produced, ever, is still on the planet. Yeah. Like, and when it, it's been around for a long, 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 long time. And it's only in recent decades that we've kind of become more aware of mm. how not biodegradable it is. Yeah, as you and said, how long it's all it really still there. Takes, yeah. Like it just doesn't, it just stays and which is scary. And when you do, and cause it's not in your front garden and then you see these shots of the ocean, it could mm. be in the middle of the ocean, it could be barren land, it could be anywhere. And you see the sheer velocity of it. Mm. It's shocking. It's so like scary. how quickly it's it's happening. Like it, it's exactly. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And I mean, we're kind of at the point where we, we've become so reliant on plastics, mm. you know, like everything yeah. as we're sitting here at this desk now there's a load of stuff around us that's you know it's made of plastic, plastic and it's sort of we don't have quick cheap alternatives to how to do it and that's the that's the thing with plastics because they're yeah. so cheap that's it and before it could have been forgivable but now we're in a time where we have the information we have the technology and it's just unexcusable anymore mm. to still be using plastic as much as we do yeah and it's great to see even last year, a lot of companies jumped on the banning of plastic straws. Mm. And it's little steps like that that it make massive differences. And it's it, again, it's hard to see and it's difficult to get on board with when you don't have a tangible result that you yeah. can say, hey, I did that. But you, you just have to believe it, that mm. it is there and that the, that single-use plastic is not good. It's not yeah. good for the environment. Exactly. Like, we know we know it's not good, mm. you know. And I mean, it is, it's really encouraging to see that there's companies who are starting to kind mm. of, like you said, like using paper straw or cardboard yeah. straws, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, it's not still not 100% ideal. Yeah. But it's a lot better than using plastic. Yeah, it's like a stopgap. It's just like, look, we haven't found a perfect alternative yet, but we just want to stop using this for yeah. now. And even products that have the wax seal, like the um I know there's a couple co- coffee companies that have found biodegradable coffee cups mm. where cuz 9 9 out of 10 places they have the wax seal and it stops it from, you know, disintegrating yeah. in your hand because it's a cup of liquid and what does liquid do? It, <laughs> and and you're holding it in something that's uh, essentially made of paper. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it like there is a biodegradable um alternative now. And I think that's really important for that to catch on and that it's a slow process because obviously an awful lot of research and technology because we don't want to start using something all of a sudden that's uh, biodegradable and then realise that it's actually toxic to us. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, we found this new stuff. Like, oh, it's poisoning everybody who yeah, uses it. a lot worse. <laughs> and that would not be ideal. But as I said, we have the technology now. We're at a time where it's possible. It's in our grasp. And mm. if, if like more scientists are buckling down because... Unfortunately, we are seeing the the effects yeah. of of this on our environments. Hello, snow in March. <laughs> yeah. Now we are. We're starting to see. You know, we're starting to see the domino effect of some mm. of this stuff. Yeah. And I know when you might start thinking, like, oh, hold on, how did we get onto snow in March and winter <laughs> stuff? And we're talking about plastics, but it is all sort of a domino effect. It's yeah. kind of a. But I think an interesting thing to go back to there um, that you mentioned, and I think it, it's it's shows how incredible the planet we live on is. Mm. That even though there has you know, there is this massively unnatural thing that has been brought yeah. into our environment and brought into our ecosystem. Yeah, that, completely man-made. Yeah, completely foreign. It should not be there. Yeah. Yet still, <laughs> organisms on the planet have begun to find a way to go, right, need this gone, let's break this down. Yeah. Like, that's unreal. Like, it shouldn't have to happen, but regardless of whether it should have had to happen or not, yeah. it's incredible that our planet is able to do that. I mean, like, our planet 
is alive. And it's really easy to forget that we are literally on this rock floating in space. We're just an inhabitant of it. Mm. Like, that's it. We're we're a guest on this planet kind of thing. And it's so fascinating to see it as bacteria is a naturally occurring thing and it evolves and it changes and things like that. It's so cool to see it evolving to things that we have made. Yeah. It's all very exciting and interesting. Oh, crazy. <laughs> and like that just made like, it's why well, I definitely wouldn't believe that we're the only planet in the solar system that has like, even just bacteria. Yeah. Surely. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the, the quest for life on yeah. other planets is kind of, you know, everybody has this idea, this kind of romanticized sci-fi idea in their yeah. head of like E.T., you know, yes, and, and yeah. actual an alien humanoid aliens. Yeah. Kind of thing. But I mean, it's every bit as fascinating the idea that there could be, you know, just planets out there that have bacterial life that has developed differently to the bacterial life on mm. Earth. And look at our own evolution. Mm. Like, because I mean, going back to the very, very beginning, who's to say that there's not a planet that's at that part of, of the evolution that yeah. will Grow up to be grow up. Grow up. When you're <laughs> when you're older, you'll be like the Earth. Just don't mess it up as badly, please. Yeah. Look at the Earth. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> the Earth will become a cautionary tale. I was gonna say, do you reckon we're a cautionary tale to other other planets? Yeah, we'll be appearing in like in history books and science books. Like, have a look at these people. They were given this beautiful <laughs> planet to, to live on and do what they like with it. And they, they killed it. <laughs> Pro tip. Don't, Don't. kill it. Because <laughs> then where will you go? Hmm. But now it's fascinating. I think hmm. it is fascinating that, the, you know, that this stuff is happening by itself. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the planet is learning to new ways to defend itself. And the, it. the bacteria the and learning. stuff on the planet is kind of going, OK. Huh. <laughs> Don't want to die. Hmm. But even just going back to nanotechnology, nanotechnology in itself is fascinating. Like, yeah. as we said, like it's it's nano size, like it's incredibly tiny. It's tinky. Yeah, and like unfathomably small, and like it's being used in new cancer treatments, and um, it's it's still in the very early stages, but it's it's a route to go through, and apparently so far there's been ast- astounding results in mice, and that some some scientists believe that it can be used. Um, for treatment of cancer and obviously like it's it, it could be far away but to have this in the running and it's a very interesting approach I think because mm. if you can implant these teeny tiny smaller than molecules into into something like a tumour or cancer and things like that and have it fight off it like slowly and slowly as it like yeah. the more that go in and it it would be fantastic like there was this idea we were only talking on the the D15 today show myself and Daniel last week he brought up this idea I haven't had much time to look into it and research it so I think I will for a future episode mm-hmm. but about like basically like a tablet you can take mm-hmm. and the tablet will once it's inside you kind of get to work working out exactly what's wrong yeah. and fixing that that would be so cool. So instead of just having to take specific things for specific problems, yeah. it will basically go in like a little crew of workers and go, okay, lads, <laughs> what are we fixing today? To the spine. <laughs> yeah, like, I, think that's a, that, I, I don't think that's a million miles away from something that could happen. No, and the reason why I feel like that it, it, it might not be a million miles away is because, as you're saying, we're evolving and things like that, but involving in the bad way of we're becoming immune to, sorry, into antibiotics, mm-hmm. And that's a big danger. And yeah. like, you know, the whole importance of taking antibiotics only when you're prescribed them and taking them for only the term that you're told and not taking them early or any day less. Or but holding on to them afterwards to take them in future exactly, and stuff like that. Yeah, because it seems it doesn't seem like a big deal. But like this is where immunity to the things like MRSA, that's where these super viruses, that's why they're mm. called super viruses, because they're immu- they've They've developed so much to become immune to antibiotics. And again, I think it's one of those things that we've gotten so far that we can't we can't keep saying it's like, oh, don't use that as much. We need to continue the message, of course, Mm. of don't take these as much and only when you're supposed to and only in dire situations that you really need them. But also that we need to be planning for a day when they're not going to work for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Because I think we've only had to deal with up to now um, mm. maybe people who have allergies to certain antibiotics and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. That's all we've really had to deal with in terms of non-responders because yeah. uh, antibiotics tend to work for most people yeah. um, depending on the situation, of course. But we could be on our way into a situation where antibiotics will, will be kind of 
you'll be in the the minority of people who it works for. Because I remember a few years ago, um, I was getting tonsillitis Mm. every six every six weeks, nearly consistently. Wow. And I'd never had it before. And then in the space of 18 months, I had it about six or seven times. It was hell. It was horrific. It was awful. And I was in college as well. <laughs> so it was a stressful time. Yeah. Like I ended up getting my tonsils out at 21. But one of the most concerning things was because like tonsillitis, it is a virus. It's and it's um it's treated with antibiotics. And I was prescribed this certain antibiotic uh, for about, I'd say, Three or four of the of the times that I got it, and yeah. it stopped working. It slowed down. Like when I started taking it, I'd see results in a day or two. Like it was, it was like magic. Like yeah. my tonsils went to normal size again. And then by the the fourth or fifth time I was on it, it was going much slower, and I was having to take more of it. So then I got moved on to a different antibiotic. And funnily enough now, I've been put like in when I've gotten sick again for like different throat infections again, yeah. which just a side note, I am very miffed about because got my tonsils out, still get throat infections. Oh, no way. Yeah, not half as much, but I still get them. Um, but the the antibiotic that I had become immune to nearly works on me again. That's interesting. Isn't it very interesting? Very interesting. Because I remember the last the last time I got an infection, I was prescribed it and I didn't mention it. Um, but it stopped working because I was like, look, I might as well try it. And yeah, like, I mean, it wasn't quite the, the day or two that it, it originally was Used working be, on. Yeah. But it was definitely quicker. Like, you know, say three, four days. And by the end of my, my prescription, like whatever it is, the 10 days I was on it. Yeah. Back to normal. Mm. Which I think is interesting enough in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And now granted, I mean, there was a good few years. Like the last time I was on it was when, when I was about 21 and last year I was 25. So, I mean, it was about a four year break from it. Mm. But still, still interesting, I found. Yeah, it really is. Like it really is. Like the fact that... And for that the same type of infection, like it was still a throat infection. Now, I don't know if that makes a difference or mm. not. But um, yeah. I'd be interested to kind of look into that, like how that works. Like does your body over time... You know, you had a situation where your body adapted to the antibiotic. It got mm-hmm. used to it. It's not doing the da- It's not not doing the damage. Excuse me. It's <laughs> not doing the opposite of that. It's not reversing yeah. the damage anymore. It's not helping anymore. Yeah. But but all of a sudden, something happens with your body where your body all of a sudden isn't trying to fight off this antibiotic yeah. anymore. That's so crazy. I mean, maybe it's actually maybe it's something bad, and I have a very forgetful immune system or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Which, you know, wouldn't be great. No. But um, I'd like to think that it's it's something positive. If mm. there are any doctors listening, do get in touch because <laughs> diagnose me. What is, what is my body? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, th- I think fascinating, fascinating stuff. Yeah. I think we're, we're getting kind of close to the end of the show at this know, point, yeah. sadly. Um, I think we will have a, we have a couple of news headlines. Ooh. We could possibly jump into. Yeah. If you want to have a listen to some news. Quick and just, yeah, so just some quick ones. Um, the one there I seen on, uh, I was looking at Gizmodo uh, on their health section. They were talking about millions of Americans who are wrong about having food allergies. Interesting. Yeah, a study has suggested that they actually, people who think they have allergies to certain things, may actually not have these allergies. Is it just an intolerance? Possibly. Because that's often a thing with gluten. You're not allergic. It's an intolerance. Yeah. And I think the great thing is now you can go into like just your pharmacy and get uh, food intolerance tests, tests done yeah. and, and stuff like that. But it'd be interesting in terms of people who like that maybe have... Um, I've been avoiding all these foods thinking yeah. that they're allergic. Because I know a lot of people who work, you know, they thought they were lactose intolerant, for example. Yeah. And they're not lactose intolerant. They're just... Um, it's a sensitivity. They have a sensitivity to it. Yeah. So they're not... in. It's not even an intolerance. It's not an allergy. It's just a sensitivity. Yeah, it doesn't just doesn't really agree with you. Yeah, they their body just doesn't break it down in the same way. Yeah. anybody else's uh, anybody else's would. Yeah, and I know a lot of people who just taking dairy can cause a lot of inflammation. Yeah, and you see a lot of children with like a heap of allergies, like nuts, eggs, bees, and things like that, and they grow out of it, hmm. which I think is fascinating. Yeah. No, I, I, I was looking at you there. I thought yeah. you, were kind of, you were following up. No, there. sorry, I thought you were reading. <laughs> oh no, sorry. Um, wires crossed. But um, yeah, no, I think it, it's fascinating, and it's, it's something that would be amazing to look into. I, I'm, I, I personally can't put myself in the position of someone with like serious allergies. I don't have any. Me um, my only touch one wood. touch wood. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's probably not even wood. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know, like, I, I suffer with hay fever. 
Which I suppose is actually yeah, an allergy. Yeah, it's an allergy to pollen. Yeah, I'm allergic. I'm allergic to dust and I have hay fever, which is great. So we've basically just gone from we have no allergies to we've got a couple of allergies. I'm allergic to everything in the air, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have food allergies, but breathing in, inflames my nose. <laughs> Well, I don't have, I don't personally myself have a dust allergy or anything, but I have a pretty high intolerance for dust. If mm. I'm dusting my room, I have to do it with a wet cloth yeah. so that the dust doesn't get into the air. Because if the dust gets into the air, then good luck. My I need eyes an inhaler. And, I'm yeah. so allergic to dust. I've dusted, I've dusted rooms before wearing like, you know, like doctor's masks, masks surgeon, yeah. surgeon's masks, those types of things. I've used them before while dusting a room. That's not a bad idea. I don't know why it's I've never idea. thought about that. I only have good ideas. <laughs> but uh, no, I think it, I, I think it will be interesting to see where the study kind of goes because yeah. um, there could be a lot of people out there who um, you know think they're allergic to stuff and have been staying away from it for a long time and yeah. maybe all they needed was to kind of take it in for a while and uh, that's gone. In very, very small doses. Mm. Like I know people who are like not allergic to say cats. Like mm. actually I know someone in particular. Uh, he's not allergic to cats but if he's sitting with a cat for too long on his lap or anything, he starts to get itchy eyes. Oh. So it's not really a full-on allergy. Yeah. But he does start to get like a little bit of a reaction if he's around a cat for too long. And I think it could be certain types of animal and their environment because I that used to happen to me with one cat in particular when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And I mean, it didn't stop me playing with cat now. But um, I'd always come home and my eyes would be really watery and be really sniffly and everything. But I mean, I have a cat and absolutely zero reaction. Um, any other cats, it hasn't really happened to. So I'd say there's all these different types of factors. And it's usually the, it's a fun fact, actually. It's not the fur that you're allergic to. It's the skin cells. Ah. Mm-hmm. Then how come dogs and stuff that you can get that are known for having allergy proof fur exist? It would be. It would still be down to the down skin to the cells. cells so it's not actually the four. Because oh, okay. I, I was again. I was like allergic to my sister's dog, and but I'm not allergic to any other dogs. Wow. And again, it doesn't stop me because I got tested um, when I was getting tested for all my allergies. Found out I was very allergic to dust and pollen, <laughs> um, and it came up that I wasn't allergic to dogs, but I still have this reaction to my right. sister's dog. So it's just specifically whatever type. Yeah. And have you ever like exposed yourself to other, that sounds a bit weird, <laughs> to other breeds of the same, like other dogs of the same breed? Um, I'm sure I have. Now, uh, Cujo is a Springer Cocker Spaniel cross. Mm. Um, so I don't think I have encountered another Springer Cocker Spaniel cross. So it could be but, just um, something in the cross? Maybe, like uh, I'd never really thought about that. Mm. Definitely met other Spaniels. There's one, there's one to think about. Yeah. And uh, I'm never not going to play with a dog, let me tell you that. <laughs> exactly, you can't leave the poor doggos alone, it's yeah. not their fault. They literally um, have puppy dog eyes. <laughs> exactly. An interesting one, now, this doesn't really happen, I don't think they're looking to do it here just yet, but uh, in the States they're a bit further on with the stuff in terms of Amazon. Um, Amazon had this idea, like Amazon Key, where it would allow people to actually bring your package into your house. Now, oh. people were obviously, understandably, really nervous about this idea, thinking, yeah. I don't want some random dude walking into my house, even though, no, like, you. strictly speaking, they work for Amazon, it would be safe enough because Amazon is responsible. If but I was in the house by myself and somebody walked some in with just a package, at the door. I, my heart would stop. All I'd be <laughs> thinking of is, if all that needs to happen is the timing is wrong and you're getting out of shower or something, <laughs> then they walk into the house. So like, like no, they're, they're looking at instead Wouldn't matter of if it that. was a murderer or not because I, my heart would just stop anyway. Yeah, you'd be grand. <laughs> yeah. uh, so actually, yeah, I suppose that'd be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do the hard work. So what they're looking to do instead is they'll deliver the packages to your garage. Oh, I see. And the idea of this would be if you're not in the house because I think we've all had those situations Ugh. where you're waiting for a package mm-hmm. and the you're The three like, minute window that you're not home. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> where I really need to go to the shop for something or I really need to go into town for something. I need to do something that's going to involve me being out of the house for like an hour or half yeah. an hour. And everyone has that moment of they're, I'm waiting for them all day. That <laughs> hour I'm gone is when they're going to arrive. I yep. know it is. And we've all had that problem. Now, I know there is <laughs> services you can get here where like they can deliver them to a yeah. locker and you can go get it from the locker. Yeah. And that's fine. But not as convenient as a way for them to deliver them directly to your house. Yeah. And that's what this would be. The whole idea is they would have a a gadget that would essentially allow them to open your garage door oh and they could go in leave the package in the garage lock close the garage behind them and leave it's nearly like renting a neighbour renting a neighbour <laughs> yeah 
Because, <laughs> you know, there is sometimes, like, you know, you'll leave your keys when you go mm. away with your neighbor or something like that. Well, not when you go away with your neighbor. You'll leave the keys with the neighbor. Or um, if you're not home at the time and you get a package, they'll leave it with your neighbor. But this is cutting out the actual neighbor and being the neighbor who has the key to, to, to deliver you're your, your package. You're your own neighbor. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a much less objective. Uh, um, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Uh, objectable, objective. I can't think of the word. Uh, for some reason, my brain has stopped working. But I think it's a it's a better idea in the sense that some dude isn't going to just walk into your house. Mm, yeah. You know. And now I reckon the way it would work normally would be. I don't think it's going to be that you're in the house and some fella's just going to rock up to your house and open your <laughs> front door. It's more, I'd say, if you put down on the thing that, look, I'm not going to be in between these hours yeah. and you'd have to give specific permission. Yeah. So I'd say it's the same kind of thing for the garage. But I think it'd be good to know, like especially if, if you've got nothing overly valuable in your garage, that yeah. if your package gets delivered while you're on that trip yeah. into town or wherever you're going, that it's, it's not that big secure. a deal. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I like that it's, again, it does sound very futuristic. I wonder if it will soon be robots. <laughs> but I feel like robots taking our jobs is a is a issue for another mm. day. But definitely something that I want to talk to. Yeah. I I talk, talk to? Talk to the robots? I want to talk to... If, if there's any robots yeah. listening who are hoping to take our jobs... <laughs> we'd love uh, to have you on. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have like a minute, so I'm going to throw in one last little thing. It's a really quick story and there's not really much talking to do on it yet because it's all still theory. Um, but uh, a team of scientists... Uh, I'm looking for where they're from. I had it there a second ago. Brazil and Ireland. Ooh. So it's us two. But... They're looking into a, an idea of genetically modifying tomatoes to make them spicy. I am so on board with this. <laughs> Think how much easier it would be to make like spicy ketchup. Yeah. They're already spicy. And pasta arrabbiata. Mm. And like you could just make the decision. You go in, do I want to buy the normal tomatoes or, or do I the want the spicy, spicy tomatoes? Tomato. <gasps> That's so exciting. I really so, hope this is a thing. I so do I. Well, it kind of is already a thing. They're working on it and yeah. they're hoping that this could be something they do. Uh, I would love the idea <laughs> of spicy tomatoes. Stay in touch with your green grocers. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep up to date. Check on, you know. What are the new trends in, in <laughs> groceries? I'll take a kilo of your spiciest tomatoes, please. Isn't that such a good idea, though? Yeah. I really like that. Maybe some people have, have reasons why it wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah. I can't think of what they'd be. But, like, because the amount of stuff that I'd have, like, tomatoes on that you'd like, mm. a little bit of spice would be quite nice. Yeah. Uh, rhymes. It nice does. Spice. It does. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they're, they're working on that. They're hoping to come up with some way of making tomatoes spicy, which I would be definitely on board with. Definitely. Mm. Oh, I hope I can get those. <laughs> I know. But uh, we are like rapidly running out of time here. Yeah. So uh, we've just got time left to thank everybody for joining us. Yes, thank you indeed. And as you, as always, like we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Podbean. You can find us anywhere. Just Yeah. I was going to say Google us, but we haven't got the best name for Googling. We need to work no, on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you go to our social media pages, you will You'll know where you can find uh, the podcast link if you have missed the show or if you know somebody who likes the show yeah. and would like to see some even like shorter clips of the show. Yeah. We'll be doing stuff on, on, on YouTube and stuff. And we're also looking to start doing some video content for YouTube that's separate yes. from this to make our YouTube channel a bit, bit more fun. So we're hoping to do that and start that going 2019 is a year of change. It is. But uh, yeah, we've got to go. So see you guys next week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bye. Bye.